Welcome back to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. If you're not familiar with Clinical Athlete, we're a network of healthcare providers, students, and coaches who specialize in the management of athletes. You can find your nearest Clinical Athlete provider at clinicalathlete.com. We also have the Clinical Athlete Forum, where we discuss and share ideas and resources related to athlete health and performance to join the forum or for a potential listing on the Clinical Athlete Directory and for all upcoming seminars, webinars, and events. Details can be found on the website. This podcast can also be found on our website along with YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. If the platform that you use allows you to rate the show, we'd appreciate you taking the time to do that so that we can get the info out to as many people as possible. My name is Quinn Hennick. I'm a doctor of physical therapy in Orange County, California at Clinical Athlete Newport. On this show, we are joined by co-host Jared Maynard, who is the Clinical Athlete Continuing Education Director and Coordinator and a physiotherapist at Depth Physiotherapy in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. He is also a strength coach and runs an online powerlifting coaching company and is a competitive powerlifter himself. And we have our other co-host, John Flagg, who is an athletic trainer and the powerlifting, weightlifting, and strongman coach at 301 Strong in White Plains, Maryland, and the owner of Rebuild Stronger, an online coaching platform for strength athletes. He is also a clinical athlete provider and lead instructor of the Clinical Athlete Powerlifting Certification. We are also very happy to welcome onto the show Jackson Taylor, who is a physical therapist in Connecticut. This is part one of a two-part series in which we discuss some existential questions that we've all probably had. Why did we choose our profession? How does our character impact our ability to succeed professionally? What are the actionable steps we can take to better reflect on our character and what are given purposes in life? It's a great conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. Jackson Taylor, welcome to the Clinical Athlete Podcast. What's happening, fellas? Chilling, man. Except you guys are actually chilling, because I'm out here in California. Even though it is a bit chilly... What does chili mean for you? So, what's, you know, it's a desert out here. So, you get at night, it gets down <laughs> to the 40s. So, oh, it's a desert. What, what are you laughing at? California, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Is, California is a desert. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. So, you're not wrong. Southern California is a desert. So, yeah, it'll get into the 40s at night and then mid 60s or 70s during the day. And that's pretty Ooh. much the norm. Bombing. Um, where are you guys sitting at? Too cold. I don't even know. There's snow on the ground. Seriously. Yeah. Oh, that's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> How much snow do you get a year up there? Depends on the year. Depends on where you are. So in my area, <clears throat> I don't know, like cumulatively over the span of a winter. Is that what you mean? Yeah. That's a good question. I don't know. Enough. I... Enough to be annoying. <laughs> you know what's cool lots, here? Lots of feet is yeah. I can, I'll can i be driving, and it'll be uh, sunny, SoCal sunny and warm, but then you see the mountains in the distance that have snow on them. So you feel really warm, but then you look at snow. It's an interesting phenomenon. You guys <laughs> you guys should come out here and experience it. You know, I, I, yeah. I like to talk about it because I was born in, or I was born in Denver, and I grew up in Indiana. I've only lived here for a few years, so I'm allowed... To just <laughs> to just bask in it. Oh, that's how it works. Okay. Yeah. That's so if I works. move out there, I get to do the same thing. Absolutely. Sweet. Okay. Okay. So that's what having uh, strong character is all about, right, Jackson? Oof. I don't know about all that. <laughs> Speaking of, we're going to have an interesting conversation today because character is is what we're going to talk about. And in kind of the the same vein as a healthcare provider, as we, you know, basically spend our careers helping other people and and that you know that whole thing and and having having character and and values is a is a concept that's relevant to us. And we wanted to have Jackson Taylor on the show to talk about these things because he's taken up an interest uh, in that realm, and so. Before we get into that, Jackson, can you tell our six listeners a little bit more about yourself and what's led you to digging into some of these concepts? 
Yeah, sure. Do I count as one of the six? Like, does that mean we only have five, or did if, we add one? No, we never add one. Usually, one drops off. So, okay. but you, so we have five listeners listening in. Yours, you count as six. Perfect. Uh, yeah. So uh, I just graduated actually last year um, from down in Florida, and so I've been a clinician for the last year. I've been involved with clinical athlete for really since you kind of got it off the bare bones and running as a student. Um, and now as a, as a clinician. So uh, just graduated. Uh, I'm up in the Hartford, Connecticut area right now. So I'm a traveling physical therapist right now. Uh, I've been only in New England so far. I work in an orthopedic orthopedic group right now. I wrap up next week and then I take the month of December off so I can go do this sprint triathlon courtesy of Rebuild Stronger Online himself. There you go. In Key West, so that that should be pretty fun. But uh, but yeah, so uh, let me premise this by saying that I have by no means anything behind my name that makes me qualified to talk about like character and integrity. Like I feel like anybody who claims that they like should be able to talk about those things is kind of missing the boat on what that actually means. So like I don't have any like formal training in how to be a person of character. It's just something that I've noticed over the last few years has been something I was lacking in my own life and something that as I've watched healthcare, especially as a newer grad, like what the landscape looks like, what we're taught in school, all of those things, it's kind of come to fruition. So a few years ago, I had a, you know, a personal family loss and was kind of going through in my own head, you know, like what is the point of life? You know, when someone close to you is gone, you kind of have to reevaluate like, holy crap, did I make the most of my time? How do I remember them? How do, how do I move forward? All these kind of things. And um, the moral of that is I came across a book called Man's Search for Meaning. If you just like Google how to find meaning in life, that's one of the books that pops up, you know, which is like the most self-help guru-y type thing you could ever do. But at that time that came up. So, you know, I bought that book and it was like the greatest thing I ever did. It's one of the best books I ever read. Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor and became the founder of logotherapy or what's now known as cognitive behavioral therapy. And he basically talks about like his life in Auschwitz, what he learned, you know, the crazy stuff that goes on in that. And that kind of reset my brain as to like, wow, like things are fragile. You lose people, you know, but what is the purpose of all this stuff? So over the course of school, you know, I really started digging into like, why on earth am I even in school? Like, why do I care about being a PT? Why do I care about healthcare? You know, and the irony of all of it is we all tell ourselves like, oh, well, I want to help people or like I'm getting into it because it's my passion or, you know, whatever the narrative you want to give is. But that's not really why we do it. You know, especially if you look at, you know, research today about why people pick jobs. Most often it's about money, status, um, you know, how to be bigger in their field, whatever it might be. There's very little that actually goes into, I'm doing this because there's a meaning behind it. I have purpose behind it. It's something bigger than myself. So as I got going and kind of getting into that stuff, I was like, okay, like I, PT is the field I've chosen, but is there something more than that? Is there something beyond that? And so the funny thing is, is that I started looking at my own life and being like, why do I do things? Like, why am I, what are my core values? What actually defines why I'm in healthcare or why I pick friends or why I do whatever? And I started realizing that most of it was super shallow. Like when you go to grad school, everything's about like, I'm going to be the best manual therapist or I'm going to have all these certifications or, you know, when you get into work, you got to bust your butt so you can work your way up and become a director and own a clinic and do this, this and that. And you've got to fit all these molds. But there's not a whole lot about like, the purpose behind that and what it means. So we seek all of these like self-validating things. And I was doing the same thing and I still was doing it, you know, as recently as several months ago and I do it every day is why get into physical therapy? Why get into chiropractic? Why get into healthcare? And a lot of people, the answer ends up being because they want to make themselves bigger as opposed to doing something as a community, doing something as a whole. So super long story short, I had to evaluate those things. And then I started looking at healthcare and insurance and how many letters people have after their names and having people tell me that, hey, you gotta go get this, you know, OCS or you gotta get your CSCS or you need to become a fellow and all this stuff. And I kept thinking to myself, well, why, why are people choosing to do those things? Is it really because they wanna become smarter or is it just to look better on social media or whatever it ends up being? And I know on here, I know you've had Meekins on here before talking about how like we're so obsessed with calling ourselves doctors. 
And I think that that's the coolest thing in the world because it's true. You know, we, we all want to be called Dr. This or Dr. That, and it's so important. But what's the point? You know, is it just to make ourselves look bigger? And I know we'll talk about ego in this podcast, but um, that's really not the whole point. So, you know, in my own personal life, I've gone through a lot of struggles of like reading all sorts of books and then posting about it, but not because I thought it was going to help people, but because I thought it made me look cool or posting a video of deadlifting a certain amount of weight because, oh, people, you know, this is for my clients or it's, it's for my people. But really, it's just about, it was about me. It was about making myself feel like I fit within a mold. And, you know, from the time that I was in even the early parts of college, I can remember my godmother warning me about that, being like, hey, remember, you know, stay humble and kind, stay humble and kind no matter what. And it's amazing how quickly that can go away when you get that little bit of, like, power, whether it's from social media, whether it's from a teacher or a professor, whether it's from letters after your name, all of a sudden you get this little bit of like, oh, you know what? I'm above. I'm above. I'm above. And as I've reflected on that and as I've now worked in outpatient or in, you know, as a PT for like a year now, I see it in a lot of other clinicians, you know, like they have this prowess of like, they're just better than their patients or they're more educated or there's not like this humility that exists and it's bothered me and I've been one of those people so that's been really where I've gotten into this is I kind of want to figure out like hey what's the point of all this and how can I help myself and how can I help people where I'm at to be better long story short that was real drawn out were you in physical therapy school when you started to think about these things no it was prior to I was in undergrad was physical therapy the route that you had previously decided to head towards, or was that not even decided yet either? No. No, no. I was, um, I was a, I mean, I was heading towards PT or PA, and I'd really considered med school. Um, that was kind of, I really wanted to work with like pediatrics and like a neuro standpoint. I, my degree was in neuroscience. I really liked the brain. And so I was kind of, I wanted to do that. And I was kind of like, eh. Do I really want to go to school for 12 to 16 years or whatever it was to, to head that route? And I was like, you know what? I don't know if that's what my life is meant to be. You know, as great as the things I could do when I get out, I just, it wasn't for me. So then I went towards PT school and I had all those things in my mind, but they really didn't, until I graduated, that was when the rubber met the road of like, oh, like this is real now. You know, you kind of always tell yourself, like, once I graduate, I'll have X, or once I have this much money, I'll have X. And I kind of realized, like, wow, like that, as great as it all was, I don't have X. I don't have the things I was looking for. So what the hell's the purpose? Like, I would, I would do all the schooling, and now what? You know, just start, you know, go work for the man, nine to five. So that's when it really started to change my mind as to, like, why are we here? What are we doing this for? I have people ask me these questions as you were talking. I was thinking about those that I get often from many different types of people. So they could be undergraduate students thinking about physical therapy or just healthcare in general. But they ask me specifically because I'm a physical therapist, if that's, you know, on their radar, or it'll be students who are in physical therapy school that are having these same questions kind of go through their head. New grads, um, you know, it'll be the undergraduate saying, well, do you, do you recommend physical therapy school? You know, that'll be the question. And that's such a hard, it's such a hard question to answer, especially when I don't know the person. And it sounds like what you're, what you're describing and obviously getting other people's opinion and, and kind of weighing pros and cons and getting the, their experiences is helpful. But it sounds like what you're saying is you gotta, you gotta start asking yourself some questions first and, you know, understand exactly what it is that you want out of the thing. So you started to go there. Can you, can you maybe dig into a little bit of what that would be like if somebody's deciding on a career or maybe they're kind of already on the path to it and now they're, they're having these thoughts similar to what you were having? Is there a, is there a process? Are there specific questions that are a little bit more helpful to ask yourself than others? Or is it more of creating habits? That, that just allow those questions to emerge naturally? Yeah. Um, so I, I talked about this with John and Jared, um, I think last time we spoke or before that. And so 
I think one of the things that we get confused is that we, we think a career picks us. You know, like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm meant to be a PT, I'm meant to be a doctor. And in some cases, you know, maybe you could argue that, but passion is not what it's all about. You know, like we, we keep telling kids all the time, especially when I was in college and when I was in high school, it's like, well, what are you passionate about? What are you passionate about? And you're like, I don't know, I'm 16 years old. I'm passionate about pizza and playing football. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what I want to do when I'm older. Like, because you, you say all these things, but that's pushed on us really hard, especially as clinicians. Even when you get into school, like, well, what are you passionate about? Are you acute care? Are you ortho? Are you neuro? You know, do you want to work at a sniff? Do you become like this great sports doctor? Like, we're, it's just shoved down our throat that we have to be passionate about something. That's just not the way things work. So for me, uh, one of the stories I tell, and this was really important for me, this is when I was uh, beginning of undergrad. There was a guy that was speaking to us and he was a garbage man. And me being extremely ignorant and young was like, well, what did you really want to be when you, you know, like, I know you're a garbage man and you do well and all that, but like, what did you really want to be? And he like, I'll never forget him just being like, let me teach you a lesson, son. You know, it has nothing to do with what you choose to do. It's how you do it. You know, so for me, when you're making a decision on what you want to do, whether it is PT or whatever healthcare you want to be in, or even it doesn't matter what career choice you pick. This is more global. Think of this as bigger. It's how you do it. It's the process of doing it. And we talk about that all the time, even with like lifting or whatever. It's it's not the end result. It's what it took to get there. And do you enjoy it? Do you love that process? Do you embrace it? So it's really embracing this craftsman mentality. It's It's all about, am I the best at what I do? And his point to me was that you know, I had to provide for my family. I had to do make some sacrifices. And so being a garbage man was what I did. So I started, I worked my butt off, and I became the absolute best at what I did. And that brought me into owning my own business and having a successful company. And, I, it, you know, my foot was kind of shoved down my mouth of it has nothing to do with being passionate about something, but everything that you do, you have purpose in, you're working hard at. It is, it's something my dad one of his big quotes that's always stuck with me is in everything you do, sign your name to it. Not to get recognition, but so that people know the kind of work that you do. You know, as a clinician, I think about this almost daily, is when someone walks out the door, did I leave an imprint on their heart that they were important, that they'll remember, they don't remember me because I did something great, but he treated me well, he was kind to me. You know, those, when you're thinking about picking a school or a career, think about it in that lens. It's not about like, oh, well, if I'm a PT, I'll be a doctor. If I'm a you know, lawyer, I'll be you know, able to be in the court and people will love me. But what can I do with it? Am I going to be great at it? Will I work hard at it? Have I developed the habits to do those things? So when you pick anything, it, I think we get so stuck on you have to be passionate about it. And you know what? Do I be a PA or a PT? I don't know, man. Why don't you go shadow a couple of them? You know, you might even have to go to one school and transfer to a different school. Maybe you didn't think it was all it was brought out to be. That's okay. I think we're so scared of like, well, what if I don't like it? Well, what if you don't try? And what if you don't put in the effort? What does that look like? You know, so I think that's a really, that question needs to come down to, it's not what you choose. It's how you choose to handle it. It's how you choose to operate in it. And I think the earlier that you can get used to in everything that I do, I put my best foot forward, the career kind of picks you. You know, and I don't mean that in the sense that like you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. It's, you know what, I really enjoy helping people. You know, I love the feeling when someone is benefited by my time. What careers entail that? You know, maybe it's a nonprofit, maybe it's healthcare, you know, maybe you love animals. I don't know what it is. It could be anything. But you'll start to, those things become more clear when you have a better sense of yourself and a better ethic that you can build off of, if that makes sense. Something you touched on is I think maybe a concern with a lot of people who are in this boat where they're trying to choose what to do is the feel is that once you cross that start line, there's no deviation. Like that's the finish line is dictated by the start line. As in, if you start PT school, that's it. And so you better choose right. You better choose wisely. And, you know, you mentioned there, well, you know, not necessarily, but there is that inherent risk that you may invest some time and potentially a lot of money into something that maybe you're into the process enough where you actually don't enjoy it. And 
there are people who stick it out and that's the tough thing about it too is if you stick it out you might actually end up enjoying the process and loving it and but then you might not uh it's i think it's that uncertainty that that people are really really uncomfortable with and you touched on something else that i was going to ask you when people are asking well should i do like you said pt or or pta is that the recommendation is well you've got to get a taste of the of the process you got to get in there and and you know, shadowing is the easy thing to say, but that doesn't just mean blindly following somebody around and getting a signature. At the end of the day, it's truly immersing yourself in the nitty gritty and saying, is this something that I would uh, enjoy doing on a long-term basis? Is that, is that kind of the thought process here? Absolutely. I mean, I think that the one thing, especially in today's day and age, and please correct me if, if I see this wrong, most people give up way before they've ever even tried. There was no effort put into, you know, well, did you, did you like it? Well, not really. Well, how long did you do it? Uh, you know, a couple days. No, I shadowed for a few days or I did this for a few days. Like there was no, again, I go back to the garbage man, you know, the first few months, maybe first couple of years, maybe that wasn't super fun. You know, but he made it purposeful for himself. It was important to him to be able to take care of his family. Therefore, I will become the best at this so that I can serve other people. You know, so we get super caught up in having to pick something. But the, the real thing that it comes down to is you've got to try some things and you've got to fail. You've got to not do things well. You know, that's a, I can remember. I started working for the guy at the school I'm at now. I was working for like the equipment manager doing like picking up pads and like putting them in stupid orders that I didn't understand why they were doing. And then finally, like after three weeks of doing it, I was like, oh, I get the process now. I see why this is why he told me to do something like this. But if I'd stopped prior to that, I would have no idea. I would have been like, this guy's just an idiot and there's no reason for me to do this. But I think that that's what students get caught in is students and clinicians for that matter is... Eh, well, it's a little bit too much work for me to do that. I don't see the benefit of it. Okay, we'll just quit. It's easier, right? Like everybody now can just quit. You know, if they don't want something, they can just stop. They can leave. There's not a lot of resilience that has to be developed or grit. You know, that great book by Angela Dutworth where she talks about grit is beautiful because that's what it takes. You've got to kind of dip your nose into it. You know, the first year of PT school, it's not super fun. Like you're doing like anatomy and phys and writing a bunch of papers you don't care about. And especially when you get out of school, you start learning that a lot of that stuff is bogus for the most part. And so you have to, you got to kind of dig it out. But I, again, I don't think it really matters what you choose. It matters how you, how you go from there. Like if you're a PTA, sure, go back to school and be a PT. Or maybe you can live a good life just being a PTA. You know, that's the other thing is this concept of enough. Like what is enough? Is it enough to be a PT? Is it enough to be a PTA? Is it enough to be an aide? Is it enough to be a Cairo? Is it enough to be a doctor? That's a personal question you have to ask, but we're always wanting more. It's like, oh, well, I've got to be a PT because I want to be a doctor. Okay, why? Well, that's, something to, that's something to consider. And to that point, and this will probably wrap around to you going into ego a little bit, don't you feel as though we put so much focus on making a choice or a career path that people now view that as their identity. So now it's like, I'm an engineer. This is my identity. I can no longer change from this. I identify as engineer. I am a doctor. Like that's the big thing with, you know, PT and Cairo. like I am a doctor. So you have identified yourself as a doctor. Now granted in like a, uh, in a market space, we, we talk about, perceived value. And I can understand trying to assume that kind of identity, but it makes career change difficult because now all of a sudden you're saying that, oh no, I'm no longer this anymore. I'm now this. Instead of identifying or focusing your ego as you. So I enjoy these things or I excel at these things and I am good at these things as opposed to saying I am just an engineer or just a doctor. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that really comes down to a, a pitfall of kind of where we are as humans right now, right? This is that we have to have something else 
to make us feel like we're good enough. You know, like how many Instagram followers do I have? You know, how much weight am I deadlifting? Am I a doctor? Do I, you know, am I the founder and CEO of my company that has two people? You know, like those are the kind, like we're constantly bombarded with that's what success is, right? Like that's what we're told is to be successful. You've got to be in the spotlight. You've got to be big. You've got to be, you know, almost flamboyant in how you look to the world. And the, the moral of that story is I think we're missing, and the purpose of this conversation is really to talk about that, that character ethic. You know, what are the values that actually make up you? And you were saying, you know, I am a doctor. No, you're John Flagg. You know, and are you comfortable enough to say that that's okay? You know, I think that that is something that people miss. And I talk about it with people all the time, especially with students. You know, I just met with a kid yesterday who's looking to get into PA school. And he was like, I was like, well, why do you, why do you want to be a PA? He's just like, well, I think it'll be cool to be in healthcare. And I was like, I was like, okay. I was like, but is that something that like, it's going to define you? And finally we got going down this rabbit hole and all of a sudden it comes out like, well, my family, you know, really wants me to, to be this. And I was like, okay. I was like, but do you? Like, is that going to define your life or are you okay with just being you? You know, and I've had that problem myself. Like, I was always defined by, like, football. You know, when I was in high school, I was good at football. That was my life. I went to college and that kind of went to shit. And I was like, holy crap, I, I got to, like, that's not my life. But it just got, like, stripped from me almost. And I had to, like, realign as to, you know, who am I? What do I, like, am I okay in my own skin? And I would argue that a lot of people aren't. You know, some of the greatest historical figures are people we'll never hear about because they had humility and they didn't care about spotlight. But today, especially with our social media world, and it's all about how do I get out there? You know, am I the biggest name on Instagram? You know, am I coming out with all these new techniques or whatever it is? But when you go home at night, are you comfortable just being you? You know, is it, is it okay just to be, you know, Jackson Taylor for the day and be like, you know what, I have my flaws, I've got my issues, but I don't need other people to validate me to make me feel better. You know, to, to again, we'll touch on ego, you know, that's really what it is, is are you bolstering yourself to be something that you're not to impress people that you really don't care about? Hey guys, Quinn Hennick here. Consider this a little brain break from the existential crisis that you're probably in from our conversation with Jackson Taylor. We'll get back to that in just a second. We wanted to let you know that we will be looking to begin scheduling our 2020 weightlifting and powerlifting certifications. So if you know of a willing facility who would like to host a clinical athlete barbell certification, have them email events at clinicalathlete.com with a subject line of seminar host, and we will send all details. And one more quick announcement. We have recently launched the Clinical Athlete Coaching Program in which myself, John Flagg, and Jared Maynard are head coaches. So if you're an athlete or know of any athletes in need of coaching to be able to get back to or surpass their previous performance goals, head over to clinicalathlete.com for details. And now back to the show. Well, these are these are hard questions to, to ask oneself because if you do, if you have the, the courage to, to honestly ask that and try to honestly answer it for yourself, then suddenly you're faced with the reality of the answer. And if the answer is yes, I am doing these things and I don't like that because it's not aligning with who I want to be ultimately, then you're left with two choices. One is take action and do hard things or live with the cognitive dissonance. Um, so, you know, it's easier, like you said earlier, to quit while you're ahead or just not necessarily give it the thought or, or ask the questions in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I would ask you guys, yeah, I mean, again, I'm just a baby in the world of healthcare, but the more people that I see, the more clinicians that I see, it's just, it's, it's become such a celebrity contest, yeah. you know, who can be the biggest, who can be the baddest. And unfortunately what that's turned into is these like ruckus debates online. Like just follow someone's, one of the best things I've done the last two months is I just stopped I go on Instagram to message John about how my deadlift feels. You know? <laughs> That's about it. That's really about it because you read through people's comments and uh, Quinn, you've talked about this a lot and I think it's something that's really needed is this attacking people. It's, you know, these ad hominem arguments where we're just like, well, I really don't care about the argument itself, but screw you because you're just an asshole. You know, and you see that stuff and you're like, where does this even get us? doesn't do any good what's the point you know you're just trying to make yourself taller and make someone else smaller you know so how on earth can we progress as a you know as a healthcare group 
and really help people if we can't get out of our own ways just because we want to be the biggest thing on Instagram. And, you know, the old adage of, you know, PR is PR, no matter if it's good or bad. That's kind of how it feels like it's become in, in our circles is people will just say anything to get another few likes or to get more people to follow them. And I think that totally misses the boat on what we're supposed to even be doing as healthcare practitioners. And I think that clinical athlete, you know, level up, I think groups like that have been doing a good job of trying to dispel that that's not okay. But it is such a big thing and it bothers me to know. And, and honestly, since I've stopped keeping track of all that stuff, I find myself being a better clinician. I find myself caring way more for my patients and giving way, way less shits about what two people can bicker about on, you know, dry needling or whatever it ends up being. As important as those conversations are, there's a lack of, you know, character and professionalism that exists in that world. So, you know, I, I don't know if you guys see that as much as I see it. You know, I'm again, I'm a baby in this. So, well, I would argue that it's not just within our field, but it's pretty rampant in all things. It's just we have particular things that we can focus on. I'm sure uh, you could ask, I'm going to use an engineer again, about bridge structures, and there's probably some internal argument on an engineering Facebook group about that. Um, <laughs> it, it just seems to be something that right now is unfortunately second nature across most of social media, and the louder the voice, the more important importance it gets. I shouldn't say important it is, but the more importance it gets, which is unfortunate. Um, I think these are conversations that do need to be had so that we can push healthcare forward in the right direction, but they have to be done in a professional, responsible manner with mutual respect on both sides. Because I think Jared Hall posted it again yesterday. It's that that whole thing with the longer an argument goes on, the more it becomes about who's winning as opposed to what direction are we headed in? Cause that's how it should be. It should be mutual discovery. We have a conversation. We both learn from this. We both reevaluate our current practice or whatever it is that we're doing. And we all get better. Not, well, I'm right. You're wrong. You're an idiot. End of conversation. That's not, actually productive. That means one person gained and one person lost. That's not, that's not how anything moves forward. For me, social media, uh, there's evidence that social media increases anxiety levels. And I've got these papers saved because I think they're so interesting. But for me, it, when I, when I get on Instagram and I start mindlessly scrolling, it's like everything around me speeds up as well. And it's, yeah. it's overload. And it's not just Instagram. It doesn't just go away when I close the app. It's like all of a sudden my brain is just going a hundred miles an hour because before all this technologies, you, you might have a stressful conversation with a group of humans in real life, but then you can get away, you can get away from that group and back to life and, and think about that conversation and, and come back to it and, but now you can, you scroll to a, an argument or a conversation that's maybe important, but one thumb widths down is another one and then another one and then another one and then another one to varying degrees of importance and to varying degrees of, of humility or their personal attacks. But regardless, there's just so much. And th I, I think that's where you, that it affects me. I can't speak for anybody else, but it affects me clinically. And the way that I work with other humans is be, because I don't have as much to give than to my real life when I, when I put all of my energy and emotions into this, this world in the ether. Yeah. Well, I'll second that for myself. It's the same experience here. And Jackson, as you were discussing the, the positive impact of stepping away from social media by and large, um, it just seems like you've got more emotional capital to then invest in the things that you actually care about as opposed to having it drained away. And then when it comes time to direct it somewhere meaningful, you just don't have as much as you'd like to give. Just need and to follow more chubby puppy pages. <laughs> no, but then you, you just want chubby, then you just want puppies all everywhere. That's true. Wishing... It says the guy with the butterfly phenomenons in his face. <laughs> I don't, yeah, but I don't want butterflies. <laughs> There's a difference, John. I mean, yeah. if you want I'm them, you want them, on a computer and watch butterflies fly around. Yeah, maybe I want them. 
so stressful. <laughs> Sean's got like a puppy pound out back with like all these really chubby puppies that he's just inherited. Yep. It's puppy porn, man. Then you start looking around, you're like, well, I don't have any puppies. Now, now <laughs> the world's not the way that you want it. I got a puppy sitting right next to me right now. She's not really a puppy anymore. She weighs about 140 pounds, but still. <laughs> Squat 600. <laughs> not Fiona. No, she barely gets up. She sleeps all day. Fair She's a lazy dog. But continue on with the social media. <laughs> well, hold on. I wanted to ask Jackson something before we get, because I think we're heading towards the ego conversation. And this is an interesting one for me, but. I'm going to put a bookmark in that just for a second because I'm imagining myself as either a new grad or somebody who's thinking about healthcare or whatever into our conversation earlier. Jackson, what you're, what you're not saying, I don't think, is that it's not a bad thing to enjoy the thing that you want to go into. Mm-hmm. It's just not – don't fixate on some type of end game within that thing and it's it's – it's not necessarily the thing itself because passion erodes. Like they talk about this with, with relationships as well. That novelty, that passion in the beginning of a relationship, that's going to go away. What do you have to fall back on now? So the novelty of being in a new field or you start physical therapy school because you're super, super excited about it. It's all new. It's like, holy shit, I'm in doctor school. Well, halfway through your first year, that novelty wears away. What are you left with? And so it sounds like what you're saying is, do you enjoy the process? Do you enjoy perfecting a craft, whatever that craft may be? And if you don't enjoy that, then maybe it is time to kind of step back and say, is is there another process that I could get behind that I could enjoy, number one, and that number two would solve some type of problem in the world? Like, Would I be contributing? Uh, is that kind of a fair synopsis of things? Yeah, and the... The real thing that I, I think I get into is it's always that we're, we're so set on the next thing. And this is globally. This is not just in PT, but it's, you know, when I make this much money, I will be happy. When I become a PT, I will be happy. When I get my OCS, I will be happy. When I'm the clinic director, I will be happy. We miss the whole boat on the fact that we're not enjoying right now, you know, because you may never get to those things. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, especially just because of personal things in my own life, like... You do not, it's so cliche, but you really aren't guaranteed tomorrow. You have no idea what will happen. Maybe you'll get in a car accident and you might never be a clinical clinician again. Then what? Are you comfortable enough in your own skin? Do you have enough value and enough worth that you can figure it out? That's a hard question. You know, one of the things that I'm, I'm pretty, I've gotten into the last probably year and a half is stoic philosophy, which is something that, you know, we talk about on here a lot. And people just bash on philosophy for a lot of reasons. And I totally get it because a lot of it can seem woo-woo at times. But when you look at the people back then, they weren't writing this stuff in books. They're like anecdotes they wrote to themselves to try and make themselves better. But they actually reflected on what made them happy. You know, one of my favorite things I've, when it comes to like joy and happiness is that those aren't things that you pursue, they ensue. Now, Viktor Frankl talks about that in Man's Search for Meaning, is that if we're constantly searching for joy and happiness, it will continue to elude us. Now, speaking of butterflies, I think it was, um, I want to say it was Thoreau or Emerson, one of them talks about how, you know, a butterfly is like happiness. The, The harder we try to go get it, the more it flies away. But when we're sitting and we're still, it'll come rest gently on our shoulder. You know, that's the same thing when we look at healthcare. You know, if we're constantly searching for, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that, and this is going to make me happy, you forget that the process is what you have to love and you have to enjoy. You have to be able to go through those late nights of studying and the difficulties with teachers and trying to learn this and learn that because when you start to be like, okay, I love these things or I I can embrace these things. It makes me better. It builds me up. Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I have this diploma, but the process was so much more fun. I loved being able to get in there and do it. And then you apply that to everything else. You know, like it's, it's, and it's not about other people. It's about you. It's about I'm being better. And in me being better, it helps other people, just like all of us as clinicians. I think that's a big issue is that we're so set on everybody liking us as a clinician or everybody being bigger and badder or whatever you want to call it, that we forget that we have to take care of ourselves. If I can't take care of me, how can I take care of a patient? If my ethics are low, how can I expect them to care? You know, we talk about that with fitness. You know, if, if I tell a patient, like, hey, man, you know, might benefit you to, you know, 
get in an exercise program and, you know, maybe we can lose some weight or whatever. But if I'm morbidly obese, it just doesn't really work that way. I know it's a silly example, but that's, we do that a lot is, well, you should do this, but you don't do that. You know, so we have this gap there that really, for me, that's bothersome because it's, that's personal. That's something that you need to take care of. If you're not comfortable enough in your own skin to be like, hey, I can get through this. I'm okay with me. If I fail, so be it. What did I learn from it? How can I be better? And, you know, to kind of come back to your point, that's the way it is. Like, there's going to be some stuff you just don't enjoy at first. Stick it out. Also, be comfortable with yourself. Don't you think some of that comes from that? And it, I, I hear it more and more now than I probably ever have. And maybe it's just because I'm older. But all the motivational gurus that coming out and saying, you know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Right. And, okay, show of hands on the show. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can watch all four of us raise our hands right now. Who has seen someone on your schedule that gave you anxiety? <laughs> quick, quick hand raise, right? It, you're... There are days that you're just, it, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to wake up and go to work. It's going to be hard to work with particular patients because you have to have a hard conversation that you don't have a lot of experience in and it makes you uncomfortable. There are going to be times where you have to talk to a physician in a situation where it's another difficult conversation or you're exhausted. Those things happen. And everything is not always going to be. Santa Monica Pier with butterflies flying all over the place. <laughs> it, there are times where your job and the thing that you love to do that you're really good at sucks. And you have to understand, and I'm not also not a big fan of the whole hashtag grind thing because we should still <laughs> be humble and, and very understand we're very fortunate to be able to do some of the things that we can do. But that doesn't mean that every single day is going to be easy and happy and and flow. And I think people are sold that and they believe it. Yeah. Just to jump in too. Um, yeah, over the last year and a half, maybe two years, I've also taken, taken more to stoic philosophy for probably similar reasons to yourself, Jackson. And one of my favorite books that you've got in the list of books that you've, uh, you sent us was the obstacle is the way by Ryan holiday. And for those who aren't familiar with that book, fantastic book, um, I'd highly recommend it. It's just about anybody, but the, it derives its title from um, a quote from Marcus Aurelius, and I can't remember it verbatim, but the idea being that we were going to encounter hard things, like we've just finished saying, and how that's okay. Um, we may not enjoy them, we don't have to, but there there are always opportunities um, encompassed within those, those challenges, and they may not be I'm going to do this thing, and it's going to benefit me in this direct way that I'd like it to benefit me in, but Say you got a boss that you really don't like, or you're working with other clinicians who maybe don't have great narratives, or you think that they're not practicing extremely well. You know, how, what what good could possibly come from that? Maybe you're learning how to have better conversations. Maybe you're uh, learning how to approach those conversations not in an antagonistic way, and to try to understand more of where they're coming from for the purpose of understanding where they're coming from, not to just rebut their points. Um, and this goes back to something else we said, where we're trying to just move forward collectively. Um, so I think that, that that's led to a paradigm shift for me, not just in the clinic, but in life in general, um, where now, even though there are definitely things that I'd rather not happen, um, it, it doesn't mean that I suddenly am, am happy for all of those things now, but rather I'm just looking to do what I got to do. Uh, and also find the opportunities within them. Uh, and I'm not great at it. Definitely not great at it. It's an ongoing process trying to get better at it. But um, I think that that paradigm shift is a pretty important one. When you were talking about, uh, Jackson, people always looking kind of for an end point. Well, when I when I make this amount of money, I'll, I'll be happy or whatever it is. I A less profound example I experience in the clinic a lot when I'm working with either some of my athletes or even just the new weightlifting members that come into the gym, they all see me for kind of an initial meeting and, and just to kind of see what's what. And I always ask them, Hey, so, so when's your next meet? Or for a lot of them, it's when's your first meet? Cause they're super green to the sport. And they're like, ah, you know, I want to be able to lift this much before I do a meet or I want to be this, I want to be this strong first. And I'm just like, if he, that's, that's the, that's the perfect uh, recipe for never doing one. 
Because when you hit those numbers and you're going to say, you know what, I want to do this one or it's this, I want to hit this number, hit this number, it just never ends. And I get into that little vicious cycle with myself as well. And even if you do reach those milestones, if, if it's what you said, if you are dead set on the milestone and you just kind of blurred past the day-to-day process of it, you're not going to be satisfied. You're always going to be looking further. And I, yeah, I, th- I think that that was relevant. It was definitely relevant for me. I can see that just having roots in many, many things that we, that we do. And that's life in general. I mean, it's just, we're so stuck on end games, you know, it's, we have to, and we're taught that early. And again, we can just take a peek at social media to make that even more profound for someone. If you're a really green kid, like you were saying, say you're 13 years old, you know, you've got your Instagram, you're following all these people that are just lifting all these crazy weights, you know, in your mind, you think of that as like where you have to be. But guess what? There's only one Thor Bjornsson. There's only one mountain. Like, and that's, you know, but that's what we compare everything to. You know, and I would even look at that in terms of like someone like Adam Meekins or you guys at Clinical Athlete or Jared Hall. Like if you're a young clinician, you know, you look at them and go, I have to be that to be successful. I'm not saying everybody's doing that, but that's the way our brains think. But that is, you're, you're talking about exceptions to the rule. We say that all the time with um, one of the great examples. Ryan Holiday actually talked about this on a podcast. He talked about someone like Elon Musk or Tiger Woods. And like everyone wants to be like, oh, I wish I was Elon Musk. Or, oh, I wish I was as good as Tiger Woods. But you've never actually thought about what it's like to live a day in their life. You know, like even Elon Musk has talked about how he doesn't want to be him sometimes. You know, like, because he's just, he's no, it's never enough. It's never enough. That was like Tiger Woods' big thing with his dad is they never said enough. Like there was always something more. There was never the, the appreciation of this moment. And as clinicians, we get so, I think we, we're in that same boat where we get stuck in, it's just not enough. I've, I've got to act like these people. And that's not to say that what people are putting out is not great. Like what Jared Hall does is great. What Greg Lemon does is great. What you guys do is, is needed. Like we need those things. But we also need people to understand that those are resources. You know, to define yourself is a totally separate category. You know, it's almost like we almost need to take people like when they first come into school or even when they're kids. Like I love working with student athletes that are in high school and teaching them like, hey, man, like, it's okay to be you. Like, we're going to work on some things, but like, it's okay to understand that who you are as a person and the way that you handle things, the way that you handle your business, your humility is the most important part, you know? And that's not to say that you sacrifice being great. I think it's, um, you know, if you look back at like Aristotle, he talks about like the spectrum of excellence and virtue, and you've got to find like the golden medium, like the, like the middle of those things. Like you still have to maintain virtue, but it's okay to pursue being great. Again, humble and hungry, you know, that's what you want. You know, I think like you want to be driven, but you don't want to be insatiable. You know, so if that's what we're always looking for, we're going to miss that boat. I wonder how much of it is is mutually exclusive up to a point because you mentioned some greats and we like great at what, but you mentioned Ty Lo- or Tiger Woods and Elon Musk and greats in that they're, they've done, they're, they're at a pinnacle of something. Right. Of some field, some thought, some idea. And I wonder if it's not a conversation the way that performance and health are conversations in that the more that you push performance, the more that you will tend to diverge from health and wellness in order to pursue that performance barrier. And I, I just wonder the more that you pursue being great or being kind of the top of something, how much of a sacrifice in virtue and, and character and happiness is just an inherent part of that of that reach when we're talking about the kind of the extremes and, and we, and do we need those? We need those people to kind of shine the light a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so are they the sacrificial lamb to which we say, thank you for being great and paving the way and showing us these opportunities. We're sorry that you're unhappy because of the, of that process, but it's helped. Right. It's helped a number of people. I just, you know, I, I would, uh, my, that's my question is just, you know, is it, at some point impossible to then just kind of have be happy and humble and virtuous, but also be at the top of the mountain in something. Well, and the funny thing is, is there's other examples that aren't those people that love their lives and they've, they really have. So I think of somebody, uh, I'll use, I think I was watching, um, an on it podcast. We was talking about Bodie Miller, like Bodie Miller was a stud at skiing. Like he won all sorts of stuff, but 
you don't see his name plastered everywhere. Like when you, he's actually from Maine, like I've had a couple events that we've seen him at and he was a really cool, like down to earth guy. You know, how true is that? I don't know, but we can all think of examples of people that are wildly successful that, I mean, I could, I'll, I'll give an example of like Warren Buffett, like the guy lives in his same house that he paid like 50 grand for however many years ago. And he's perfectly happy with that. You know, and I think that's one of those things that, again, we always see the outliers. We always see the exceptions to the rule, but that's our definition of success. And I would agree with you completely. There are the people in those fields that, you know, like what Elon Musk is doing is crazy. You know, it's amazing those things, you know, but also he's the one who has to answer for, is it worth it? Not us. I'm not Elon Musk. You know, you can only answer for yourself. You know, when I look in the mirror at night, I can answer for me and that's all I can control. If I'm unhappy, it's it's my choice if I'm going to change that. So yes, we need those things, but I also think there's a lot to understanding, you know, what success is, is very broad and very gray. And it's important for us to recognize that and be okay with it, as opposed to, I have to be this to be successful. Well, is, is success money? Is success relationships? Is success Instagram followers? Like, you know, when I think of success, I think about, you know, what have I left to the rest of my people? You know, what did, you know, does my little sister remember me for being a good guy? You know, because eventually your name passes away. You know, you think of so many great people that, that are gone that you only remember them because of the impact they had on others. To me, uh, you know, I could live with the fact that, you know, maybe I didn't have 3 million Instagram followers or maybe I didn't pull 1,500 pounds. But I impacted somebody in a way that they can pass on maybe to somebody else and to the next generation of just being kind and humble. And, you know, those stories don't get told. You know, our our idea of success is Kim Kardashian. You know, that's that's kind of the truth of where we're at right now. And I think it's important to start shedding light on the other people that that's not that's not true. So. He just needs to work on his Instagram angles. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I gotta, I'll look from the right side instead of the left side or something. I'm little on it. A little quarter turn. A little quarter turn. A little quarter turn? Okay. All right. I'll get my sweet backwards hat on, too. We'd like to thank Jackson Taylor for being on the show. You can check out the show notes for links to Jackson's contact info and for his recommended book list. And of course, thank you to my homies, Jared Maynard and John Flagg for steering the ship alongside me. And thank you, the Clinical Athlete community, all six of you, for joining us on this journey of improved knowledge and practice in both the gym and clinic. If you want to dive even deeper into this community, you can check out all that the Clinical Athlete Forum has to offer, which includes our Clinical Athlete Academy courses, amazing discussions and networking with professional clinicians and coaches, as well as students, and just our overall hub of knowledge in regards to athlete health and performance. Thanks, everyone, and talk to you soon.